0: It doesn't work for the team I suppose but a right. security guard who was like uh you should probably like compensate these people financially and I was like well hey here's the thing I'm not going to Right but uh Well it's
1: it's, it's good to know that Tyler Kern was the first line of uh, customer service <laughs> for FC <laughs> Dallas in a moment of uh, near tragedy
0: Probably not the worst thing that I was the first face that people interacted with <laughs> after that
1: Well, hello there, FC Dallas Curious fan, and welcome to another edition of Third Degree the Podcast. This week on the pod, bad news. The Huntsmen are now on a three game losing streak and haven't won since back in April. Good news smoking is now allowed at Toyota Stadium, and Dan Hunt teaches us a new word but has some really weird ideas about what qualifies as a garage band. All of that and more on this week's 3DTP. Hi, I'm Peter, and joining us today is a different lineup. Uh, Dan Crook is not available, so sitting in, I'm very excited to have from the ESPN Soccer Show and all-around good fellow, Tyler Kern. Welcome, Tyler. Hey, Peter. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate this very much. I'm super jazzed that you've joined us. I've been wanting to do this uh, for some time, so... Uh, I appreciate you uh, joining our little pod. Since you have your own soccer show,
0: absolutely. I'm uh, any opportunity to kind of just hang out and talk FC Dallas. Like this is what I'd be doing with my Thursday night, anyways. So this is great. Why not just record it? Do you just sit around in front of your wife
1: and just start talking about FC Dallas, and then she starts to like glass <laughs> over, and you're like, shut up?
0: <laughs> uh, t- sometimes that happens, yeah. But you know, you you, you kind of learn after a little while. That's just that's just how it's going to go. But then. Uh, I have some friends that have season tickets, and so we'll always just go kind of grab a beer on Thursday nights and just kind of chat about the the last game and the you know the team and that sort of thing. So it's a it, it's a regular occurrence for us. By the it's way, great.
1: for anybody listening who has never seen Tyler play soccer, I have, can best describe him as Maxi Arudy's little brother.
0: <laughs> uh, you know, the I, thing it's, is, it's, is that I don't know that I have discernible skills besides just run a lot. And so I, well, I really who, try to match that Neither does Maxi. One out. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. I I, th- I do think that's an apt description. Um,
1: <laughs> Dude, it's way more apt than even you're probably willing to admit. It's no, a- <laughs> it's
0: it's totally true. Uh, it, my claim to fame will always be that uh, that I scored a goal in last year's FC Dallas media game uh, on a pass from Javier Morales, and I definitely stole the pass from John Arnold. Um, good guy, uh, Dallas Morning News writer and uh, and Goal.com correspondent. But I uh, I, I definitely stole the goal from him, but I will not apologize for it.
1: And you shouldn't. And Buzz and I were there to witness this, so we can back you up. And speaking of which, Thank also you. joining us, as always, a uh, uh, founder and co-editor of ThirdDegree.net and from the Dallas Morning News, our hero
2: and yours too, Buzz Carrot. Come in, Buzz. Hello, Peter. Calling in today from Bielsko Biala, Poland. Getting ready for the U.S.'s opening U Twenty World Championship game. Uh, did Mexico win their game today? That is a good question. I did
1: not. I totally forgot that all started today, and that game uh, they was... lost. Did they it, really? They played Italy, yeah. right? Two one to Italy. Whoa! Are they in a, they're in, Japan, in a are they in a harder group
2: than the United States? Uh, Italy, Ecuador, Japan, Mexico. So yes. Yeah, I'd say Japan so. tied Ecuador. Goodness. That's a tough yeah, and one. And the U.S. has Qatar, Nigeria, Ukraine, and the U.S. Those are all beatable teams.
1: Well, uh, just to kind of refresh everybody, the last time we did one of these, it was literally minutes after FC Dallas's uh, loss um, against L.A., out in L.A. on a. Th- Thursday night last week. And uh, now we know that uh, Dallas is sitting on a three game losing streak, and they have not won a game since uh, April 20th, which was the uh, game out in Atlanta. They are in sixth place with 18 points. That puts them 12 points away from dead last place in the West. And 13 points away from first place in the West. Uh, big takeaways for me in these two games is Dallas went on to come back uh, to Toyota Stadium and pull out a t- uh, a draw. Um, despite the fact that they played a large portion of the game a man down, is just some fundamental just differences. The same things we talked about, Buzz, last week is, man, yep. LAFC and FC Dallas could not be two fundamentally more polar opposite clubs across the scale.
2: Yeah, I mean, LAFC is uh, the new MLS, right? They're one of the teams we talk about that um, brings in stars. They don't have any homegrown players at all. Uh, well, they have one, but it's an FC Dallas homegrown player. <laughs> um, and Chef Brewer, <laughs> they actually have two FC Dallas Academy guys, which makes me laugh. Um, Who's the other? You know, uh, and, and um uh, uh, Oh my goodness! Oh, don't, I don't worry about it. tight uh, Yeah, uh, not a guy that plays a that, lot.
0: Yeah, they were both just guys that were in the academy for what a year each. Bros? Yeah, yeah. yeah they,
2: well, yeah, they were. They were not uh, full-time, long-term tra- academy players. They were one of those transient players that Dallas actually. At the U nineteen level, almost always has a couple of those guys. There's two of them right now, in fact. Um, you know, so uh, but still, you know, LAFC's only academy guys are Dallas academy guys, so that that makes me chuckle on a certain level. But um, you know, they're they're a team of uh, relatively speaking superstar players. They use big time, you know, Mexican international up front guy uh, Vela uh, playing best game in the league. Team playing the best team in the league, uh, best game in the league. You know, and Dallas is on it a downward trend and they're on an upward trend. So um, both teams like to possess the ball, but obviously against LAFC, who's one of the best teams in the league, Dallas went with a, I don't know if you call it an Oscar Perea style, uh, deep block and counter attack strategy, even when they were not down a man. that was their strategy. So um, definitely two different teams, definitely going in different directions. Uh, you know, one is of the new style and one of, of of a style of their own invention, which is not quite the old style, but is definitely Uh, not what LAFC is. Yeah, you know, the thing about game one,
1: because we we tried to record directly after the game, and I didn't really have, I didn't think to put all my thoughts together and everything, and failed to mention that Dallas didn't get a single shot on goal, they only had two corners, and after uh, getting a chance to look at some of the passing charts, they didn't put a single pass into the box. In fact, I'm pretty sure they didn't even complete a pass in zone 14, which is that really important section of the field just outside the middle of the top of the box Uh, but in game two the team really seemed to play a lot better Um, and uh, after some personal retrospection and watching some of the video I have to agree that Chris Penso the referee uh, did not have a very good game. Uh, Tyler uh, that probably did end up playing a bigger factor in the game that many of us generally would like to admit that a referee can have that level of uh, effect.
0: Yeah and you know just from my perspective, it felt like he had in the back of his mind the events that occurred at the end of the game on Thursday night. The, are,
1: you, are you talking about the Brisson-Vela?
0: Yeah, yeah. Tackle? I, I honestly think that he went in with the idea because he blew early fouls against FC Dallas early and often in and around the box, kind of all over the place, to, just to start the game. And, and it felt like there was this idea of, okay, I, I need to establish authority and set a tone for this match because... I think he went in with the idea that tempers were going to be hot, that Bob Bradley had things to say after the match that were uh, not flattering regarding Brisson and and his actions at the end of the game. And uh I honestly think that that he probably I I, I don't I don't want to overstate it, but I, I think that FC Dallas probably uh had a better chance at getting 3 points. Um but that, that was uh, certainly negated quite a bit by Chris Penso because I don't think the first penalty that was awarded should have been a penalty on Brisson. I think that Tyler Miller should have been given a red card. Um, I, I think every 50-50 call that, that was a major call in the game went against FC Dallas, and that, that certainly hurt their chances of getting all three points at home in a game where I think FC Dallas certainly came out and played a lot better than they did on Thursday night.
2: Yeah, supporting you, were- you in that argument, Bob Bradley said exactly what you just said, which was the beginning of the game, the ref, Made it turned it into an inconsistent choppy breaking it up, and it destroyed the flow of the game and Bradley said that after the game so it 's not just your take that that was the case; it was people with much higher pay grades than us
1: <laughs> you know i got a I got several people that asked me questions or would you know people sometimes send me texts during games and ask me questions, and one of them in fact, I got like three of these over the course of the ninety minutes, which was what 's the point of VAR if they 're not going to use VAR? And, uh, you know, this is an interesting problem that I think VAR, not just in Major League Soccer, but across the sport has, which is people, fans in general, don't understand that VAR is always being used, right? Like everything's being looked at by a VAR official. What's not happening is that the VAR official is making a strong enough case for Chris Penso to decide that he needs to go look at something himself on the screen. Um, and and so every time an incident happens on the field, just understand and uh, t- uh, take heart in the fact that somebody in a booth is watching, rewatching exactly what you're watching, mm-hmm. and then they are saying, "Hey, you may have missed." Because this is always the part that becomes the the most uh, interesting part. Was it a clear and obvious error? Now let's we could apply that to the Miller um, uh, Jesus incident. Which I, uh, you know, based on the angles that they were showing on television, um, I I couldn't see a clear error than the fact that I thought two of the defenders were at least somewhere in the vicinity to have interceded had Jesse gotten around him. It wasn't until later when I watched the MLS instant replay that I realized, no, in fact, if Jesse had just been able to touch the ball long enough to to shoot it, there was nobody that was going to win it. So I think those are the types of things that people have lots of questions about.
0: Yeah, I I-, I I 100% agree with that. mainly mainly just because I, I think referees are taking far too long to decide. Hey, I should put my own eyeballs on this. I, that that to me is 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 strange, right? Just that I, I I am a proponent of of VAR just in general, just because I, I believe that uh, there are calls that can be gotten right more often. So why not try on some level? But I I have a problem with how long at times it takes officials to decide, okay, I want to take a look at this for myself. And it, to me, it feels like if there's any gray area, if you feel like there's a potential that you could have made a mistake, I understand someone's looking at it in the booth and then advising, but I think I would want to go look for myself again.
2: Am I right, Peter, in thinking that in MLS, the, the VAR guys suggest it, and then the red head official has to decide for himself, okay, I'll go look, or I'm not going to go look. And isn't there... Is it the Champions League that they're going to, or maybe they already are? Where the the VAR guy can overturn, uh, basically make the decision and basically say, "No, you're going to come look at this one."
1: No, well, in <laughs> you no know, Champions League, the referee still makes the decision. It's upcoming in next year in the ah, uh, Premier League, okay. where okay. the the VAR official is the one that's going to be making the decisions and choosing to yeah. overrule or uh, agree with the the center referee, which is a fundamental change from how pretty much I don't know any other league in the world that does right. it this way. Um, and I and it's it, you know it's going to it will. It will bring up its own pros and cons and problems and all that kind of stuff. It's going to make referees more nervous and that they're going to get overruled and maybe less likely to make calls and who knows. But uh, I think on the whole, it'll be fascinating to see if, in fact, that doesn't end up being a a better uh, setup. You know, after the game... Well, let's. I'll take. I'll. I'll save that for a second. Let me just say something about Brisson, who had uh, a really unfortunate game of very highs and very lows. He had some great moments, and then obviously was directly related to both penalty kicks, both on the aforementioned tackle that wasn't, and then later on the handball that I thought was accurately called. But do either one of you are either one of you also already concerned that? now that we've seen Brisson in enough minutes that he may be a Jackson-level red card waiting to happen?
0: <laughs>
2: uh, I mean, certainly so far, but um, I mean, obviously, this is a concern. That was actually one of the questions that Lucci responded to in, uh, to, in the training to yesterday. It's in the training report I just put up this afternoon. Uh, he specifically talks about that, and he said that he and – I assume he meant he and his staff, but he sat down with Brisson and I had a conversation with him, and they are collectively, including Brasan, working on that and trying to curtail his more aggressive instincts because he does come from a place where it is more a little aggressive. They tackle a little harder, so they're trying to rein in him a little bit. But they think that you know that that's that aggressiveness is okay. They just got to channel it a little bit.
0: Well, beyond the aggressiveness, uh, it was also him dribbling into no man's land out of the back that led to the giveaway that that eventually ended with. Matt Hedges taking down Carlos Vela right on the edge of the box and picking up a red card. Um, And so he he had a, I think you're right, Peter, there there were moments where he did some nice things, but he also had a a bit of a shocker at times on Sunday night just in terms of uh, maybe the downside of Brisson a little bit.
1: Well, uh, we still haven't spent enough time talking about the horror tackle on Vela uh, in the first game. I just every time I watch that replay, I get a little angrier because it's such an absolute hack. Yeah. And I, I I don't know how Carlos Vela didn't get hurt in that moment mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. because it's such a bad tackle. Uh, and the fact that it wasn't even given a foul, much less a yellow or a red card, I, I find interesting. And I also do wonder now that we've seen some of him, and I think we've all heard the story about you know him departing Gremio and the fans turned on him in the uh, Copa Libertadores game where he committed a handball that allowed, yep. I guess, River Plate to score and advance in the tournament. But I wonder if the real story is that was kind of like a, the straw that broke the camel's back kind of thing with the Gremio fans that maybe. That handball incident was just the end of a collection of what we've been seeing over the last few weeks with Brisson.
2: Yeah. in that particular incident it's not just a handball. He actually gets up and makes contact with the ref. And so it was a whole, that was a whole like hot headedness, explosiveness. And that's that's for sure. Like his his downside. Well, you know, as we always say a lot of times about players that have high quality, if they end up on M- an MLS, there's probably something's wrong with them. And clearly, in the case of Brisson, that's going to be the thing that's wrong with him. It's some hot-headedness and some potential to maybe make a crazy tackle and get himself a red card from time to time.
1: Now, at the end of tour, through the course of the game and towards the end of the game, uh, something that's been problematic for Lucci all season are injuries, and it looked like Baji. It was obviously Baji got hurt early in the game, uh, and Jesus. Uh, Pulled up holding the back of his leg uh, later in the game. Buzz, do you have any updates on their particular condition at this point?
2: Yeah, both those guys uh, today are training fine, no problems. Everything looks good. Uh, Baji, at one point, did put like some heat rub kind of stuff on his sides, you know, so he obviously is playing through a little bit of discomfort, but um, neither one of them is, you know, hurt as opposed to or injured as opposed to just. Uh, in in Ferreira's case, he looks 100% fine. Maybe he just got kneed or something. He, he was moving terrifically today. And Bajji's moving well, obviously. Uh, it's just perhaps a little uncomfortable. And since we're on injuries already, um, Grezzo is back and trained 100% on Wednesday. He's good to go. Barrios cleared percussion protocol, so he's good to go and he's fine. Um, Acosta's got a little bit of like uh, like Bajji, a little bit of just soreness of grind of the season, but he's actually fine and can play too, so they're about as healthy as, they, as they've been in a while, except for Coleman had a little bit of a setback, um, and they're working on some building some muscle around the knee on him to make him feel better about lateral movement. Uh, and really, other than that, they're pretty healthy. Oh, Muscara is up and walking around, so he's probably two to three weeks away.
1: Uh, And when do they, has anybody actually talked about when they think uh, Coman will be back and uh, missing more
2: goals? Yeah. Lucci said, Lucci said (laughs) that it'll be in about a month. They'll get him. He'll get back out and be and start to rev back up to play in about a month uh, after this, you know, now that they have a good measure of where he is, you know, in terms of like his cutting and stuff. So about a month before he'll start to build towards playing. But uh, you know, when we said when he got hurt, it was going to be a year before he was going to be back. And that, to me, it looks like that's probably what it's going to be, really.
1: And since we're talking about Coleman, uh, we will shift quickly to the Eastern European version of Christian Coleman, Oosh. Uh, Andresnik. Now, uh, Buzz, I know you feel like you've dogpiled a little bit, so I'm going to give you an opportunity yeah. to sit this one out. Tyler, Sweet. can you please explain to me why anybody is surprised that he turned out to be largely ineffectual? Um, As an MLS quality striker.
0: I think one of the things that has been very interesting to me about just the more that I've interacted with FC Dallas fans in general is that there's always this belief that there's this player that the coach just doesn't believe in enough that will somehow come in and save the game and so in the past that's been Coleman and now it's just kind of shifted over to Andrasic and to me I don't see it. I don't get it. Um, and I also have a question. that I think, Buzz, you're probably best positioned to answer this. Uh, he was signed. He had to have been signed in the period before FC Dallas had a coach and after uh, the previous yeah. technical director was on the way. So I don't know who made the decision that to, to sign him in the first place, but it doesn't look like he can outrun a single center back in Major League Soccer, which on some level is a problem, yeah. right?
2: Uh, he was signed when... Muzi was still here uh, and Lucci had not been announced and Marco was unofficially. Uh, so if, if my understanding of all the tea leaves is correct, essentially it was a four person decision between uh, Chris Hayden, Muzi who was on his way out, Lucci who has not chosen officially the coach and Marco Feruzzi at the time. That was those four people were now who scouted him specifically and who specifically said, That's the guy. I don't have an answer to that question, but those were the four people that were involved at the time. Well, I'm making. Well, Dan Hunt, obviously, and and Clark eventually, eventually, too. Well, I'm making
1: a, a I'm making a pod rule. We will no longer refer to Andresnik by his nickname because cobras are fast, sleek and deadly. And he is none of those things. The garden snake. He's no, he's not a snake at
2: all. He's <laughs> a garden snake.
0: Yeah. yeah uh, I, I keep seeing I keep seeing people ask, you know, where is he? Why isn't he coming in more often? Why why isn't he being used more regularly? And part of me just thinks that he's a guy that was kind of signed without Lucci's at least entire input, or or had Lucci been the coach, or you know this was going to be a summer signing. There's absolutely no way that he gets brought into FC Dallas, in my opinion. Just he doesn't fit what Lucci wants to do. Um, t- he's he's kind of a, a blunt instrument of sorts when it comes to to how he plays. And you know, I, look, I I appreciate the the attitude that he brings, and maybe a little bit of leadership and that sort of thing. But just as a player, I don't see how, um, he's terribly impactful, and really. When I, when I kind of watched the game on Sunday, the, the impact that Brian Reynolds had off the bench made me think, man, if Brian Reynolds had been up top and I realize that's not where he plays and, and he's he's been right back and, you know, came up as a, as a right kind of attacking mid or right winger. But my thought was, gosh, if he was the one up top giving LAFC center backs trouble when FC Dallas wanted to counter, this maybe looks like a little bit different of a game, right? He at least gives them something to think about. In this case, they could cheat forward all they wanted knowing that Walker Zimmerman can beat Zenik Andrasik in a race, even if he gives Andrasik a 10 yard head start. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you noticed that too. Yes, yeah. that, that 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 was brutal because they were trying to play on the counter, so they lob a ball over the top to Androsic, and he just gets burned by center backs. Oh, you know, like, you're not I,
1: I, you're not even referring to the best part. Was the one where uh, uh traps the ball and and Zimmerman is on him, and so uh, Androsic plays the ball about twenty yards in front of both of them, and he gets a head start. Walker Zimmerman is facing the wrong way and right. still beats him to the ball.
0: Yeah, it yeah. was bad. Yeah. Yeah. it's 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 tough to watch and i mean maybe he's more effective when I, in the I, Pol- in the polish first division <laughs> yes yes i I, yeah. I honestly don't have a justification for how i think he works In the larger framework of this team when they're playing the way they want to play. Here's the
1: thing. This is what I hope people who watch this team and watch Major League Soccer take away from this. and and, Because it kind of answers the question I asked at the beginning, which is, how could anybody be surprised by this? But the reality is, is I think people tend to assume that some guy comes from a European country, um, from a European team, and he's instantly good enough to be a top-level MLS player. And what that tells me is people don't give this league enough credit for its difficulty level. I'm not saying it's a top-ten league in the world, but don't just assume a guy who's scored a few goals in the Polish 1st Division is going to start bagging goals in MLS right off the bat. It just doesn't work that way. Plus, if he was really the number nine everybody said he was going to be, some team in Europe would have sucked him up years ago.
2: Yeah, the answer to the question of what is his role going to be going forward? I think it's going to be in some ways Maybe not when you're down a man, but in a lot of ways it's going to be what you saw Which is if you're trying to kill off the game and you want a guy that will come in and for 15 or 20 minutes Harass the tar out of some defenders and make it hard for them to build forward that that's it You know, you're not he can't play over the top can't play in combination You can't play and beat guys one-on-one. You can't go to him for like I need a game-tying goal You're not gonna get it. It's Mm -hmm. gonna be to kill off games There's a role there for him because you're stuck with him because he's got a guaranteed contract, you know, uh, that's just going to be his role.
0: And I don't know that you're pumped about this, but you know, him being your number nine and whatnot, but he, he can also help defend set pieces and that sort of thing. So, that's it's not the worst. thing. Yeah, sure. There's you know, that. that he, yeah. he can do that late on in the game, but that's certainly not not at the top of the list of what you're looking for out of your starting yeah. striker or no, whatever.
1: That's that's like number eighteen on the list of things I want my number nine to be able to do well. Exactly. Uh, you know. So as I mentioned earlier, this is kind of the low spot of the season uh, for the club, and obviously this coincides with roster issues, dealing with injuries and call ups and so on. But I do also feel like we're also seeing a byproduct of having a really, really young head coach. And I've talked about this a lot, and I don't mean it to be like a drag on Lucci, but it is something that I think if you really were paying attention at the beginning of the season, um, that that this, these are things that you can expect out of a guy that's never done this before. And one of the things that I do find a little bit annoying, and maybe this is just me personally, I'm interested in y'all's uh, uh, take on this, or maybe you haven't even noticed it, but after these losses and some of these poor results, Lucci's uh, kind of verbal reaction is, hey, this is a lesson, we're going to change some things in training, and we're going to get better. And I And I suddenly have a realization after the game on, uh, over the weekend on Sunday, uh, uh, was this was I've been watching this team now for what 23 years. And I feel like I'm 23 chapters into this really long ass book that hasn't had a happy ending yet. And now I feel like suddenly the guy writing the book has started over from scratch.
2: Does that make any sense? No, that's, I I know exactly what you mean. Lucci, uh, actually talks all the time about what they've learned from things as, as himself and from a staff collective. He was like, yeah, we learned from this. We learned from this. And, and he talks about how he wants people to be out of their comfort zones. And he says, every day I'm out of my comfort zone. And training and, and working this team and learning this team and learning this league, he said, it, we're all out of our comfort zone. He said, but that's how we learn. That's how we get better. So it's a developmental club. you know. How many times have they said that, right? That's Now that's true of their coaching staff as well. I mean, we all think highly of Lucci but there's no question that he's a young rookie coach learning on the job.
0: Yeah. You know, I, I've i been thinking about this as well, because I, I think that one of the things that you acknowledge when you go into the season with a young team is that there are going to be mistakes at times, right? Like uh, you're going to see points be dropped because of the fact that you're committed to this idea of youth and committed to this idea of, you know, letting young players take their lumps and learn from them to a certain extent. And I think, um, one of the most tangible examples of that might be last year, first game of the season. Uh, Reggie Cannon gets turned one on one against uh, Jao Plata in the box against uh, Real Salt Lake in the first game of the season. That game ends up as a one one draw, as opposed to uh, you know maybe FC Dallas wins at home <coughs> if that doesn't happen, something like that. Reggie Cannon goes on to learn from that and has a has a great season and you know ends up last year. Um, being credited as one of the better right backs in in Major League Soccer, and I think to a certain extent you can maybe understand and expect Luchi Gonzalez to be going through that same learning process. But I do I do understand where you're coming from as a as a long term fan, as someone that has you know kind of weathered the storm with with the team to a certain extent. That you feel like you're kind of back at square one, and I, I think the hard part about that is 2016 was such a good year that felt like it was so close. That it was a you know a Moro Diaz you know Achilles away from maybe being a team that that wins MLS Cup and then you kind of have that have that satisfaction that you've been wanting for so long and instead it feels like. They, they tried to hang on to that moment for too long and now they're back at the beginning.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I just felt like with Oscar there was a thing going on and there was a direction and you could get the sense that if they could just find the right puzzle pieces in a season something good would come out of it. Um, and even when, you know, he decided he didn't want to do this anymore and he divorced the team, by announcing Lucci I kind of felt like, well, maybe the same thing will continue or will feel like the same vibe but it totally feels completely different to me. Um, and I and if I get frustrated when I hear Lucci talking in these ways and making it sound like we're back to square one, I can't imagine what a season's ticket holder must feel like um, who's been you know following the team for 10, 15, 20 years. And, uh, hmm.
0: well, I, I kind of want to push back a little bit on that because, because to a certain extent, I think that the cycle under Oscar had kind of run out. I thought they were making ill-advised moves because they were still operating as if they were one move away from winning MLS Cup, which I think the last two seasons showed that they really weren't one move away. They really weren't just a number nine away from being an MLS Cup team uh, in the way that you know other teams around the league were competing for titles. And I think that in doing so, Oscar began to neglect or maybe ignore some of the players that could have been contributing. Like, I, I don't think that we've seen how good Paxton Pomichael has been early on in the season. I don't think that he was not ready to the extent that he couldn't have contributed something to what was going on here last year. But I think in Oscar's mind and in the team's kind of larger mindset, they still thought, hey, we're this team that should be competing for MLS cup when I just don't know that that was the case. And I kind of think that that time had run out and it was time to, start that new chapter, as frustrating and as painful as it might be to kind of feel like you're going back to the start, I don't think that under Oscar you were ever going to get Jesus playing game in, game out, or Paxton kind of having a breakout season. It felt like that really wasn't ever going to happen again under Oscar.
2: To me, it is. Yeah, anyways, and that and that's exactly why we have Lucci as a coach. There was a, that article that was, I think it was on The Athletic, that was last week about Pamukal, had that really telling quote uh, where they were talking about, uh, or I can't remember whether he's talking about Lucci or whether somebody else was, but they were talking about how very specifically when Lucci sold himself to the team, what he sold was, I know these guys already. I've already spent four or five seasons with them, these kids that you want to bring along. I'm the perfect guy to bring these guys into and along. So we ended up with Lucci because of, as you say, this very same idea that it was time to rebuild and the Hunts have doubled down on the academy. We all know that. So that's where we are.
1: Yeah, but I would tell you the pessimist, and I'll go ahead and raise my hand and and, and say that I'm the guy. Can't confirm. Well, that to me sounds like we got a guy that will do it uh, the way that follows a model that helps us accomplish two things. It helps us become a selling club by growing our own and making money off of guys that we grow. And two, we're not going to have to bring in a coach that's suddenly going to look at us and say, hey, you've got to go out and sign million-dollar players um, because I, that was, I've always said, I believe that's the big reason why Oscar decided to leave was because he realized the only way he was going to win, uh, was different than what his bosses wanted to do as a business model. And he just recognized that. And as much as he loved the club, he realized he needed to go do something somewhere else.
2: Well, ha- having a, I, I know you say that, but I having had four months of conversation with Oscar before he did it, I can tell you that that's not why the, 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 why was, uh, that he felt that he had plateaued as a coach here, and he wanted to challenge himself uh, in a league that was a hot cauldron of insanity, uh, and hence specifically he mentioned he wanted to go to Mexico. So, maybe part of that is the plateau, is the lack, the, the fact that he was not going to get big time players. Maybe that's part of his growth as a coach. But you know the reason he went to Mexico is because of the insanity of it, and he wanted to prove himself at that kind of. Intensity. I'm
1: just I'm hard pressed to believe there's a scenario where Oscar thought he could get the players he wanted at whatever the cost to win the cup, and then
2: still decided um, he needed to go someplace else. Uh, that, I mean, it certainly could be a factor. That's just not what he and I personally talked about. You know, for months that wasn't what we. Would, he never was complaining about. You know, he. I take that back. He did talk to me a little bit about the inability to get the kind of uh, frontline player that he felt was necessary to really challenge inside the league. That I now that you bring it up, I will say that that for sure was a topic, but most of it was about the personal challenge.
0: It is interesting to me, right? Like, regardless, I, I think sometimes we get very maybe hung up on the reasoning behind why the the ownership group wants to build the way that they they do but the the fact of the matter is that maybe i'm not i'm not trying to put a a rosy spin on this i suppose but if if you have an idea of what you want to be as a club then you're gonna hire a coach that that fits that idea i I completely
1: Um, agree with you and i'm not saying it's right or wrong i'm just saying that the moves that the ownership group makes I think are reflective of how they choose to run this business. Mm -hmm. The fan base or a ticket buyer can decide if that's the right or wrong way.
0: Yes. Yes. I, I, I 100% agree with that. Now I get, I, I've been more excited to watch FC Dallas this season than I was last year, mainly because to me, it's been exciting almost to turn that page and to see Jesus playing game in game out. I mean, Last year he's he's what? He's he has four goals. He's halfway to the the total scored by the two guys that led the team in goals last season. I think Lama and, and Rudy both had eight last year and led the team. So Ferreira already has four, so he's already halfway That like to me I, I get excited about seeing guys like that. Um but I, I do I do recognize that maybe the harsh reality of that for a season ticket holder or for a fan is that as soon as guys start playing well like this, you acknowledge that they're getting closer and closer to to leaving the club, and that's that's probably the harsh reality of of building this way. Is that if you don't win anything with this specific group of players, then you know, as soon as they're they're good enough and they're ready enough to get a good offer, they're going to leave, and you're going to be back at this phase all over again. So I, I understand that reality.
1: Yeah, and 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 I would agree with you. I started off the season. Uh, One, being bummed that Oscar was gone, but two, then being excited uh, because of the fact that it was clear we were going to see some of these homegrown kids. And at the beginning of the season, you know what? It really panned out. It was fun to watch this team, but as the last month or six weeks have gone by, this frankly has not been a very entertaining team to watch on the field um, it just hasn't been a, They haven't been very good Again injuries and call ups etc uh, Are part of it but that's also a part Of some poor roster construction Because all of the depth on this team Is tied yeah. in really young kids And not veteran players who can Well actually I would say They they may have actually played worse with the veteran players They do have on the field mm-hmm. uh, Starting in yeah. 11 So I, 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 I'm not a, I think part of all of this portion Of what we've been talking about And listening to Lucci is part of my frustration just purely as a fan in now having the smack in the face of, holy crap, we really are starting over from scratch.
2: Yeah, there's no question. And, and I think that the Palma, Palma call getting hurt was the first thing that started to derail things in terms of this season. And that we're, we're learning really quickly that you start losing a player or two, that the, the step downs are still really massive. The guys that are starting are starting for a reason. And the guys that aren't, are not for a reason, you know, and, and this team is not a team that goes, you know, they might have a body at every position, but they don't have a real two deep players you can rely on. They're even, they even got a couple spots that are empty and a couple, maybe three or four players that might as well not be on the team at all because they're not going to play. Or if they are playing, we don't wish they wouldn't. So and, and related um, to it's that, a tough position.
1: It is. And, and related to that, you know, the club have made some really good uh, import signings. Ziegler's one of the best Um, I think Brian Acosta is going to pan out eventually very well. Uh, There were the the highs of Mauro Diaz, Pedroso last year. There have been good signings, but... Um, You know, I, Buzz, you and I have talked about this. Yeah. As we go into this season, especially as PomaCall has been missing, I still marvel at this idea that somehow we're in a place where a blonde-haired kid from Dallas as a homegrown is literally this team's only real offensive tool out of the midfield, which really then points the, the magnifying glass at Orangis, who just can't seem... You know, Tyler mentioned it earlier. That's that guy that's been sitting on the sideline. The fans are wondering why the coach isn't using him. And then you get him out on the field and you're like, oh, now
2: I get it. Yeah. And you can even see uh, the fact that he's we uh, we talked about this last year when and I and I got yelled at about it when I said, you know, they're like, why is he playing? But, you know, uh, I said, you keep wanting to get him out of there. I said, well, because it doesn't have any any impact. And you compare that to the impact Paxton has. And it's remarkable. And yet. When they've tried to play without someone in that position, when they try to play without Aranke, it's actually even worse. So it, you know, at least it's slightly better with Aranke in there, and it's nowhere near as good as when Paxson's in there, which is, that's, I mean, to, the U-20 CONCACAF championship was huge for Paxson and his confidence, and that was the springboard he used to blossom into the player he is now. It is unbelievable how important he is to this team compared to a guy that barely played last year at all, when admittedly he was not, the player that he is now.
1: And you know, Tyler, in that first game, uh, Pedrosa, not Pedrosa, excuse me, Arangis Pablo had two really good opportunities, and he mm-hmm. just bungled them both uh, to the point where I was, like, shocked how badly he handled them.
0: Yeah, yeah, he absolutely did. And it's it's interesting because he came in just with all the hype and wanted the, the number 10 shirt, and um, he had that that expe- expectation and that pressure of replacing Mauro Diaz, which was probably too much, but even through, I think he's played, what, 19, 20 games for FC Dallas now? No goals, no assists. Um, Buzz is right, just not making an impact, really, and there are times when you see him connect a couple passes together, and you think, okay, like, this is this is improving a little bit, but still, they're, they are so, so reliant on Pax and Pomico. and the thing that stands out to me is the extent to which this team uh, reverts back to playing like they played under Oscar when push comes to shove, and when they lose a guy like Paxson who really forced them to, to drive forward and maybe keep the ball a little bit more. Uh, as soon as, as Paxton fell out, it, it felt like this team kind of has reverted back to playing like they played under Oscar. And I don't know if that's just the veteran mentality of this is how we play and this is how we've played for the last, you know, however many years that a player has been here. or Comfort level. Yeah, I, I I 100% think you're right about that buzz. I, I think it's I think it's the comfort level that this is what, you know, when push comes to shove and when things get dicey and when we're playing a team that is certainly better than us talent-wise on the field, we revert back to what's comfortable. And that's that's certainly what how things have appeared for FC Dallas over the last uh several weeks, especially since Paxton got hurt.
1: Uh Now, I am not a noted stats guy, but uh, over the last couple of years, I have been working hard to try to not be the stereotypical old fart. Um, who only goes by the eyeball test. Uh, And so I've been trying to learn about XG and appreciate XG and all of the stat stuff. And uh, today, or I don't remember when, I was reading an article over at American Soccer Analysis, which always has some really fascinating articles. Uh, This one, it was written by... um, uh, Chuck, Hey Ho, and Jason Poon over from uh, Big D Soccer. And there's a lengthy, lengthy article with all sorts of statistical nerdism in there. Um, about FC Dallas and the way they play their game. And uh, after trying to decipher all the numbers and the stats, what it really just confirms for me is exactly what we, what I think the eyeball test tells us, which is there's lots of good, small, backwards, sideways passing going on. But getting that ball into the final third for a wide variety of reasons, um, which you should read the article if you haven't, kind of really breaks down both with video and numbers, uh, is this team's, really big bugaboo, uh, to point.
2: Yeah. And in fact, that's what they worked on in training this week, um, is, uh, breaking a press with, uh, with a more vertical component of getting the ball further up the field, uh, and getting into the final third, attacking the final third, not just passing it around in the back. So, you know, I think, I think as a staff, they're just as aware of these things that, you and I uh, on, and Dan on this podcast, and I'm sure Tyler has on his podcast, have been talking about all season, which is they're super content to just play it around in the back and then can't get it going into the offensive th- uh, uh, third, especially without Paxton. So, um, you know, the eyeball test in this case matches what those stats say. And the team is well aware that it's, it's a work in progress, you know, and they've talked about that's the next phase of their growth. And we hope that it happens. But, you know, the proof will be in the pudding if they can actually put it all together.
0: Yeah, we saw it a lot in those first two games, right, where they possessed the ball, you know, 65% of the time in both of those first two games, I think, against uh, Philadelphia and LA, or not Philly, uh, New England and uh, the Galaxy, is that right? And um, uh, struggled to create chances specifically against New England uh, in those games where you kind of just wondered where the the chance is going to come from, and we saw that a lot, and now we've seen them uh, get outpossessed by better teams, and the chances still aren't there, and so... Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right about that. And that, that kind of reminded me of a, a, a tweet that uh, one of the FC Dallas digital interns put out this week. It says, per Opta Joe, FC Dallas has the top two p- players. <laughs> excuse me. Have you seen this tweet? Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it has the top two players with the most successful passes in a team's own half. Reto Ziegler is first in MLS, and Matt Hedges is second. Speaks volumes to how successful Lucci's team has been as far as possession and build-up goes. Yeah, we've um, uh,
1: discussed this at great length in our yeah. chat group. It's yeah. the wrong collo-
2: conclusion.
0: <laughs> yeah, like a good good stat. I I just disagree with the with the uh yeah. interpretation of that of that, their statistic, and I, I don't want to hammer the kid or whatever, you know. No. that's hey, we have talked. not a, the goal. But. We've
1: talked a lot about the fact that the they're essentially first in possession in their own half of the field, and they're dead last in possession mm-hmm. in their opponent's half of the field, and that speaks volumes about what's going on. And what's really interesting, and again, uh, this was one of the statistic that one of the stats that the article uh, brought up, and I'll I'll tw- and I'll give it to Buzz to tweet out at, at third degree net. On Twitter, um, uh, was the fact that you know, the amount of possession and number of passes per game that Dallas has done over the course of these 10 weeks, it literally, they draw it out as a graph, and it's like a downhill slope and wow. what is an uphill slope for the most part is the amount of pressing people are doing against Dallas and buzz has been talking about this a lot lately that it yeah. it's very clear that the league has figured out how to beat up on Dallas which is dude just press them press them high mm-hmm. they're not they 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 haven't quite yet figured out
2: how to beat that very well yeah i specifically yeah, a, asked lucci at training today i said would it be, would it be fair to say that if your penetration is not on, you'd prefer to reset. And he said, absolutely. We want to reset 100%. But we've gotten in trouble when we're too deep and we try and reset. and We get intercepted and we get beat because of that. So he said, we're trying to work that balance of getting the ball further up the field mm-hmm. and, and and not having it be all in our defensive end. Having it be more in the midfield sort of area and, and, and try and not always reset. Sometimes we have to say, a reset's not right now. We need to, as he say, Rondo it forward, which to him means those little triangular passes, that little ping 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 that Dallas does, and that's again, that's what they worked on today specifically. So, uh, you know, they know it's a problem, and it's at least they're 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 trying to address it, and Lucci's trying to address it.
0: Well, and Peter, to your point, uh, people were very surprised uh, in the press box and after the game, just just in who I talked to about the result against the uh, New York Red Bulls a couple of weeks ago, but. I I don't think it it should come as a huge surprise even though it was a New York B team really that that came to Toyota Stadium and beat FC Dallas because as you said the playing out of the back and being pressed has been FC Dallas's weakness it's how you beat them right now and you mean to tell me that the team that's been the most prolific pressing team in Major League Soccer over the last 4 seasons came in and you know a team that that's their major weakness is being pressed uh, you know, and that was the result: is that FC Dallas lost at home. Yeah, like that's that's not terribly surprising to me when you think about it.
1: Yeah, and I guess if you wanted to think there was a, a silver lining out of the two games, was that Dallas did play better at home against LAFC, mm-hmm. um, despite being a man down. Although, man, that look uh, that there were points after Hedges' red card where it was like it was just wave after wave after wave. Yeah. Um, uh, because they just couldn't, you know, they they couldn't put anything together to put to, to retain the ball. Uh, but credit to them. They got the point uh, in, a, in a worst case scenario. Uh, and if you just want to feel good about something, at least that's something you can grab on to. All right. Now, the hey, other b- thing I, b- before yeah, we ahead. leave
0: that game, can I tell you a story of something that happened in the press box?
1: I love a story.
0: Okay. Okay. It's easily one of the crazier things I've ever seen happen at an FC Dallas game. So, okay. So I'm in the radio booth And uh, for those of you that that haven't seen kind of how the the press box setup works, I guess, is there's a very thin little window that allows the radio booth to kind of look over into the next uh, booth over, I suppose, uh, which is typically where a couple of people from the FC Dallas organization sit and watch the game and they kind of observe and take notes and that sort of thing. I'm not going to say who it was, but in in that box and the uh, home game against LAFC, they had a window open and two cameras were filming... Uh, either end of the field so uh, it, it's it's MLS's stuff they they come and they set that up for every game and I think they're, they're doing some kind of tracking data and that sort of thing with the cameras that's not really the point the point is is that a couple of members from FC Dallas's higher level staff are sitting in this in this booth uh, next to where the radio booth is and when Hollingshead scores the goal for FC Dallas to go up 1-0 on LAFC they jump up to celebrate and in the process one of the guys in in the process of raising his arms over his head punches these cameras and knocks them out the open window (gasps) yes knocks them out the open window ripping the cord out from the computer and actually snapped the cord the cameras fall all the way from the press box all the way down in front of the club and they hit the ground like that they fall all the way out of the press box and onto the seats they miss hitting people in that back handicap row like by, I mean, I'm talking six inches or so. It was the most insane thing I've ever seen. Was anybody hurt? Nobody was hurt. I actually, I saw it happen, looked over, made eye contact with the guys in the booth next to me, and then like ran out and ran downstairs (laughs) to go grab the cameras, because I'm like, someone's got to go down there and do something, because everyone was kind of just paralyzed by the moment. So I run out, run down there, Say hey to the people and kind of apologize and kind of explain what happened and where these cameras have all of a sudden fallen from. Oh, um no. And just kind of say, hey, sorry. And so I made sure that FC Dallas Usher kind of took their names and passed it up to his higher-ups and that sort of thing so that the people that were almost hit by falling cameras from, you know, 20 feet up in the press box uh, were hopefully compensated on some level uh, by FC Dallas for their near tragedy, but... Uh, so I ran down, not. got the cameras, brought them back up. I, I snapped a picture of the camera. They, they set them back up, and I guess they still worked. I don't we'll know, s- but... Uh, that's send me the send me the picture of the cameras we'll make it the show photo. Okay, that that's that sounds good, but that's easily one of the more insane things I've ever seen at an FC Dallas game. Was cameras getting knocked out of the press box and almost hitting people on handicap. I mean the the, the woman that it almost hit w- was in a wheelchair. Like that was oh, like, no. as as close as you can get to like very very bad situation. That's you know, that's what it was.
1: You know how you know that phrase that's so Spursy? Yeah. <laughs>
0: You know, yes, if that had yes. actually
1: hit a handicapped woman sitting in a handicap section and injured or killed her, that so would have FC been Dallas. the most FC Dallas thing ever.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's just wow. That's that's actually a, a really a really probably apt apt way of putting it. But I couldn't let us leave the uh, the the section Ugh. of talking about the the games against LAFC without telling that story from from the press box.
1: You have earned your pay uh, for your show appearance fee uh, with that story alone, <laughs> Tyler. Congratulations. That's Sweet. awesome. Yep. Now I do, before we move on to previewing the game this weekend, I do have to bring up the, <laughs> I, you know, I know he's trying, uh, but I, I can't quite put my finger on, uh, all of the things that is going on with Dan Hunt, uh, uh, in his halftime yeah. video with, um, Gina Miller, uh, the two of them together, and these is just the most wheels off halftime interview, uh, Gina Miller, it's almost like she's hosting one of those uh, local television morning shows and they're they're doing like a recipe with a cook or something. That's kind of that whole presentation (laughs) style going on. Uh, Bless her heart. Um, And Dan, who just, he's he's like the, I don't know, he's just so disheveled and it's a weird scene. But I have to give him credit because after the interview, I was convinced he had made a word up and I looked it up and I'll be damned if he didn't actually use a really high-level word and he used it accurately, effectuate. I had never heard that word before. Had you? I don't know that I have. Buzz?
2: No, I would have used the word efforting in that position.
1: <laughs> he. I can't remember the sentence, but he used the word effectuate. It's a real word. He used it correctly. Kudos to Dan. You taught me a new word, and I apologize for questioning you. But I do, before we get into the cryptic promises he was making in this interview, I do want to point something out. I really wish somebody would point out to Dan Hunt that neither Gunner, Guns N' Roses or Pearl Jam were ever garage bands. So please stop <laughs> using them in that analogy about yeah, North Texas at sea. He loves um, that analogy, but they were yeah. never garage bands. Use the Trogs or yeah. the Ramones or Thirteenth 13th, yeah, 13th floor elevators or somebody, but stop using Pearl Jam and Guns N' Roses as a garage band. They need neither stylistically, genre or uh or in their origin. Reality wise, yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Be be the guy that, that instead is saying, you know, like you, you will have wanted to have been one of the people that saw Nirvana at Trees, you know, before exactly. they were Nirvana, right? Like that, yes. that that actually lands with folks, you yes. know, or maybe I'm no. wrong. Maybe I'm wrong, but that, no, that's actually you... something that could have happened, <laughs>
1: that, you know. That's, that's the best one yet. I've been trying to conjure one up in my head, and that's the best one. Uh, you were there the night Turner punched uh, Kurt
2: Cobain in the face. Um, <laughs> I'm a but. little older. I was thinking of the example of Stevie Ray Vaughan coming to College Station and playing in a pizza joint with 10 people. That's even that's even better.
1: Yes. I'm totally with you. Yes. I'm completely with you. Yeah. Um, now, I will uh, say this. Dan, in his own weird way, is pretty good at teasing the audience because this is not the first time he has hinted that something significant is about to happen, likely with Bayern Munich, come this summer. He's talked about their open international slots and the fact that they've moved some pieces around and the transfer window's about to open... What are we going to get uh, by the end of July?
2: Well, I uh, today I said, uh, are you down with, to Lucci, I said, are you down with Dan Hunt's uh, statement that you're going to have multiple impactful players come in this summer? And he, in a panic voice, said, multiple. <laughs> <laughs> so I think he was, <laughs> uh, you know, half joking. But, uh, you know, I mean, they, they 100% for sure are clear in the deck to at least sign one person. You know, maybe two people, maybe one of them might be somebody internal coming up. I don't know. Um, You know, somebody in this organization is actively working to get something done. They're making all the moves to happen. The only thing we don't know is, and maybe they don't even know who it is yet because, you know, we're not quite to that window yet. But they have a few weeks to figure it out. But um, they are convinced, all coaches, all ownership, all everything, that somebody is coming. The only thing we're going to have to see is... How good is their new scouting setup? How good are they at at analyzing tape? How good are their connections? Because this is a completely new leadership. You know, no one is left over from the old group in terms of bringing in players. So this will be the first uh, big salt test of uh, how good their new scouting system is.
1: Tyler, do you think there's any chance it's a name player from Bayern Munich that's just retired or gone out of contract like a Ribery or a Robin or a Mueller? Anybody
0: like that? Is there just I just don't see that happening, right? Like, first of all, both of those guys could will easily have high money offers from China. that just immediately price teams like FC Dallas out of it, right? Like, they would have to be getting well. Yeah. They're out of contract with Bayern Munich, so it's 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 not even you know part of the agreement. to Get a Robin or a Ribery or something like that. So I I just I just don't see any way that that's that that's what's happening. Like, if it's anything, it's a it's probably what a, a Bayern Munich under twenty three player or something like that. I, I mean. I honestly just don't. I I don't see it being a, a player that is an established Bayern Munich player or anything like that. I, I I just can't. I I can't fathom that that's that that's the case. If I had to guess, I I would say that, that they're probably gonna gonna grease the South American uh, talent train again and and try that once once more. But that, that's that's just a guess. <laughs> I love that.
1: Fantastic. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. 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 I appreciate that.
0: Feel free to to use that anytime. <laughs>
1: uh, probably will. Yeah, I, I if if something's coming from from Germany, I'm hoping it's a uh, promising young no name and not one of these well established. Uh, kind of aging veterans. I, I just none of those guys to me are going to end up selling a lot of tickets. And my biggest fear is is that they'll make a decision to bring in a a, a or a, a, a Robin, and none of those guys will have a significant impact uh, either on the field or in the stands. And then we'll never ever ever see them spend big dollars again. That's my mm-hmm. biggest concern out of that. Yep. And and I don't think that's what they'll do. But again, if they did, that'd be
2: so FCD. Um, I think Danielson burned him on that concept in general. Uh, my, my hope is that um, – And FC the Mexican Dallas,
1: center back also didn't help.
2: Yeah, Julio Devino. Davino, thank Traffic you. Traffic Cone, yeah. Um, my hope is that FC Dallas can become, for them um, – who is it for Manchester United? Is it Anderlecht? Is that who I'm thinking of that they send their young guys to all the time and have sort of an agreement with? I think that's who it is. Anyway, I, I hope that they can, Dallas can become like that for Bayern Munich, a team that like – They have a guy that maybe is a little bit too good for their U 23 team, but maybe isn't quite good enough for their first team yet. So we're going to send him over to you for like three seasons of play. That's better than what we have. You know, that's the kind of relationship that you want, you know, where you can get a guy who's young uh, and up and coming, you know, has a future with Byron and you're going to help them develop for Byron. I mean, yeah, that'd just, be great. But yeah. you know,
1: when I watch the when I watch the halftime thing between Gina and Dan, and he's kind of disheveled and his half grown beard, and he's got that shit eating grin on his face, you just get the sense that he's really excited that they're about to announce some significant signing. And I'm just and I just hope it's somebody everybody really truly uh, is excited about as he is because he always looks like he just got
2: back from a concert of a garage That's
0: a good point. I- I'm trying to I'm honestly trying to think of who. Who it could be from Bayern Munich that would legitimately get people excited? And, and Chris I, Richards. I, uh, <laughs> well, back. Sanchez is
2: interesting, isn't Sanchez unwanted there? He might be all right.
0: Renato Sanchez is still yeah, really young. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I, maybe so. He, he's twenty-one years old, and you know, had that that great uh, summer with uh, with Portugal when they won the Euros. Uh, you know. Renato Sanchez, there's no way it's it's someone like James Rodriguez, right? His, no, 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 I think no, no. his yeah. his rights are still owned by Real Madrid anyways, I think. So yeah. Well I don't want him either. Yeah. Nobody I, wants I mean, that
2: guy. I don't know what's going on with that.
0: I don't but but like as far as guys that would actually move a needle here, there's a very there there's a
1: it's a pretty limited list of, of it, international soccer league. stars. And it, yeah. it starts and ends with Chicharita, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And even now I'm not even sure I mean that the, the, the clock on the Chicharito value is quickly winding out,
2: by the way. Well, for MLS, he would still have plenty of value, I think. Um, you know, The dream signing for me, obviously, it would be to bring back Lunas Mori, but uh, I don't think that's ever going to yeah. happen.
1: I, I just, and not to just uh, belabor a point, I just want to remind you, the look on Dan's face wasn't dissimilar to when they announced Cobra, by the way. That's why I'm worried when I see him with yeah. that look on his face, I'm about to be really disappointed. Yeah. I just hope I'm not this time.
0: <laughs>
1: okay, so let's move on. Uh Saturday, uh it is Vancouver, the trip up to Vancouver for Dallas. Uh Vancouver, which started off pretty crappily, has now gone 2-1 and 2 in their last 5. Now they're also uh this will be their fifth game in 15 days. Wow. Um that's uh pretty big but they their last two games were draws at Kansas City and up in Harrison against Red Bull uh and the only loss in that stretch was that interesting game where they only lost one nothing to Atlanta in Atlanta um this will be. Uh, it'll be interesting to see now that uh, it appears that Lucci has most of his uh, available pieces, not p- pieces that aren't a call up, but pieces that aren't hurt. Uh, what uh, Dallas can uh, put back together this weekend?
2: Yeah, I mean, obviously Hedges is gone from the red card, so it's pretty obvious that the center backs will be Ziegler and Brisson. Um, Cal Montgomery is will be on the bench, but he's not ready to be starting. And then Cannon, of course, is a lock. Um, you probably end up with Hollingshead back at left back again, I would imagine, on the road. Um, it's pretty clear that uh, even though we don't love Orangis yet, that they're, they're slightly better with him in the middle rather than the hayes Acosta grezzo triple holding mid-combo. That, that doesn't really work. Um, I'm going to guess that Hayes came off his best game of his uh, about a year, so he'll stay in there. And I think, I think since Acosta... You know, had was injured right before we had a couple of three games now. So uh, Grezzo being back and healthy, I'm going to guess Grezzo Hayes Orangi's in the middle, which leaves you Barros back. That's a given. Frey at the nine, that's a given, and you'll be have Baji on the left wing again. So that's my anticipation of your eleven, and then your bench will be Nelson Montgomery, Roberts, uh, Reynolds, um, Cobra, that's uh, uh, about it. Oh, I, now that I mention the bench. I have a funny story. At least I think it's funny up to tell about Roberts and Reynolds, uh, in training on Wednesday, uh, technical director, Andre Zanata came out and pulled them out of training. And I got all excited cause I was like, oh, great. That means they're going to play for North Texas. Awesome. I want to see those guys play tonight. They didn't play. So I started asking around as to what the heck, why were they pulling out of training? And it turns out that Reynolds lost his passport and, uh, and, uh, Roberts had, had expired. So they had to race down to downtown Dallas to get their passports renewed and updated. And that's why they missed training. And that's where they were all day on Wednesday so that they could go to Vancouver because, of course, it's in Canada and you have to have a passport. So that's my funny side story. (laughs) story. (laughs) The details, man. The kids got to have their passports. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I, Tyler mentioned it
1: earlier. Uh, Reynolds was, uh, you know, I'd never really seen him play anytime recently. Um, and it, it did make you wonder as, uh, impactful as he was in a very short period of time, if Lucci had put him on a little earlier, what may have transpired out of that? I, uh, that kid's got some wheels on him. Um, I'm interested. Do you think there's any chance we're going to see some more substantive time out of him anytime soon, Buzz?
2: I do actually, um, some people I've talked to said that uh, it was kind of an eye opener uh, for the club a little bit, how well he actually did um, both coaching staff and, and let's be honest, we all know the ownership around here wants to stick their fingers in the pie too. So um, I think people were surprised that what one story I heard was that they actually weren't going to bring him on until, as you mentioned, Ferreira got a little knock, that little hamstring, uh, which I assume must've been just sort of like a Charlie horse kind of situation. Cause he's fine now. Um, and 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 Brian has a lot of versatility. Like Lucci's staff has only kind of been using him as a right back mostly, but over the last, I want to say month, month and a half, maybe, he's popped up as a wing a couple of times in training. They've been using him back in his basically old position. And you can think back to when he was in the academy. He actually played as a nine too. So uh, and as a, he played as a center back for the USU uh, 18s, I think it was one time. So. The kid's got a lot of versatility. Um, He still needs a lot of high-end game experience, but uh, the North Texas team has done light years of work for him, and in particular in this game, not only his defensive responsibility and intensity, but his ability to uh, play over the top and make L.A. sit back on their heels was really vital down the stretch of that game. Uh, And his ability to be versatile and play multiple positions and his ability to stretch the field, I think raises his value for the coaching staff in terms of bench being a bench guy, because you can use him in so many different spots and he could be that late game threat and that late game defensive stuff. So, you know, if you want like a bell cow, a bellwether moment for a kid, that might be it for him. I mean, that might be the thing that gets him in the minds of getting into some of these games, going down the stretch and honest. Let's all be honest, right? Reggie's played 30 games every year. Now it's like, you've got to give him games off somewhere down the line. Reggie needs to not play a game or two this season. And, now I think Reynolds, you can look at him, as Oscar said, he's ready to go for a game. I'm not saying the whole season, but, you know, give him a game. And and, uh, and maybe he'll be in the mix more going
1: forward. Well, I think you've officially given Brian Reynolds his nickname. He's now for forward being called the Bell Cow. The Bell Cow. <laughs> uh, Tyler, anything uh, hopeful uh,
0: you're hoping to uh, see uh, in the game against Vancouver on Saturday? Oh, that's an interesting question. I, I mean, I, I would like to see Arangi's actually impact the match. Uh, maybe I'm still still holding my breath about about that. But, but the the lineup that Buzz rolled out is, is pretty much exactly what I'd penciled in as I was kind of thinking through things in preparation for this. I, I, I would like to see Brian Reynolds off the bench again, if, if at all possible. Uh, maybe coming in for Baji or, you know, coming in on one of those wings just to, especially if they're, you know, late on in the game, if it's tied or if they're behind. Uh, I, I would really like to see him come on and just see what he can do. He's he's so interesting to me because, as Buzz mentioned, he has that versatility. Part of it is he's his size, right? He's what 6'3", 170 three. Yeah, yeah. He is. He yeah. is a huge kid, and so the the idea of late on in a game, you know, and having tired legs as an outside back, seeing that kid come on and then run at you for the next, you know, twenty minutes or so, that would absolutely terrify me. So I, that, that's something I would I would really really like to see. Um, and, and one of the things about Vancouver is. I, I, just if you look up and down what they've done this season, only one game has the margin of victory not either been a draw or one goal. And that was back on April 5th against LA Galaxy. Every other game, the, the margin has been within one goal. So it's going to be close. It's going to be tight. Throw him on at the end and, and just see what he can do.
2: One funny thing to me about Brian Reynolds is he's the kind of player who, all through the academy, you would say to yourself, man, look at, look at this kid. He's a specimen. He's a man among boys just wait till everyone else though is just as big and just as fast as he is well he's now in major league soccer and he's still bigger and still faster than everybody else so i mean eventually he might run into a point where that's not true but at this point it still is true so there's some assets there you can use even if he's not the polished product yet i want to see some more of it
0: peter is he does he not uh, on some level just kind of when you see a guy that's kind of that that tall and lanky almost remind you a little bit of like a uh of either uh, like Marcus Rashford or something like that, just because of the the speed.
1: Yeah, he, he's probably not as uh, thick. Not as, as polished. Uh, well, physically, he's still pretty skinny. He looks like mm-hmm. he could uh, put mm-hmm. on some muscle. And obviously, he's not as polished as that, But uh, as a Rashford is. But I, I, again, I just saw the same few minutes that everybody else witnessed on Sunday, and I just thought, hey, you know what? That wasn't a bad performance, and I'll be damned if he had just yeah. had a little more composure. He may have actually won that game for Dallas on that last uh, that last little uh, situa- uh, scenario that happened uh in uh in LA's uh penalty area. So um yeah, I I think we'd all love to see uh more of him He's still as just well.
0: 17 years old. And we, we know you know, he's, he's been what a professional for 3 years now and 3 just, years, yeah. Just 17,
1: yeah. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Now, speaking of 17, uh the North Texas Soccer Club um Juggernaut continues to power on. They are, remain Am I saying this right? They're undefeated buzz? Yeah, they have not lost a game. And the mode over forward Madison uh, yeah. last night with a 3-1 win, which, again, this is like the, what, second, third game in a row where they're playing essentially NTXSC's B team.
2: Yeah, they have no, the last couple of games, they've had no first-team FC Dallas players because FC Dallas is so thin right now. Uh, and they're rolling out four or five academy players, you know, complete amateurs, Uh, They got a a 17 year old kid starting as their playmaker. They got Pepe's 17. You know, they got uh, kids all over the field. Like the oldest player they use is 22. And that guy hasn't played like the last game or two. It's like everyone is 20 or down, you know, 19, 18, 17, 16 years old. And they're just wiping
0: the floor with this entire league.
1: Tyler, you've been soaking in any of the uh, the under 23 team. Or whatever you want to call it.
0: <laughs> no, I, I, I've loved watching him every chance I get. Uh, it's it's been a blast, and uh, like I said, I, I get I get excited about kind of that that next generation thing. And I've always kind of been that that dork that when it comes to baseball, loves to know what's going on with the farm system, or you know. Um. So so that that's kind of always been a, a mentality of mine. So it's it's exciting to watch them, and I actually have a have a question for Buzz. I, I, I'm curious how it would work. Um. And I can't remember if I've asked you this or not, but if FC Dallas gets super super thin, say it like center mid or something like that yeah. uh, during Gold Cup and under twenty, and you know if whatever overlap occurs, kind of as all of the chaos goes on over the summer, can they bring a guy into the FC Dallas first team that is just signed to North Texas SC? Do you know how that the mechanism of that would all work?
2: Yeah, if you want, uh, if you want to bring a guy up for the rest of the season. It would just be like you would sign anybody else, it, um, you know, whether you whether you loan them for the whole year, whether you signed them as a discovery for the whole year or whatever. If it is an academy kid, it would be a homegrown contract. And if it's mm-hmm. not an academy kid, it would just be a normal contract like you would discover anybody else. That's for the whole season. Uh, the harder part is if you want them for just a game or two. Uh, obviously, let me let me first say the U.S. Open Cup. That's easy, right? There's really loose rules there. You can just play basically whoever you want to. Um, but if you're talking about an actual MLS regular season game, uh, there's a rule called the hardship rule um, that has to do with how many players you can roster. Um, and if Dallas, like the San Jose game coming up, there's a good overlap window when Paxton, Cervania and Cirillo could still be gone and you could be missing Grezzo, Acosta, and Reggie too. So that, <laughs> and with some a injuries, hilarious scenario, yeah, you might actually be a, it, it's a hilarious scenario where you can't even field 17 players to fill your bench up 18 players. Excuse me. So in that scenario, you can sign a player on a hardship loan, which means just, means just for a game or two. So then you could, uh, loan somebody from North Texas to that team, just as you could from any actually team, in mls or anywhere in the world if you wanted to if you could work a deal for just a game or two through this hardship rule because otherwise uh mls is not like baseball where you can just option a guy up and down you can't you can't really do that it's like it's either got to be the hardship or it's got to be like a permanent rest of the season kind of deal um you know you could and in this case you know if you didn't have a roster spot available which they have too if you didn't have one you could like you could put like a player on the IR for the end of the year, and then you could replace them, you know, in that kind of scenario. But in this case, that doesn't matter because Dallas has two open roster spots. So uh, if they wanted to bring up, let's say for the season, Pepe or Jata or, uh, Arturo Rodriguez, somebody that they said, we're going to keep you the rest of the year. That's real simple. Mm-hmm. You know, the complicated would be the, can I borrow Jata for a game? Then it right. gets a little bit into that dicey hardship rules. It can be done, but it's much more complicated, uh, Situation. So, those are your two scenarios basically how you can do that.
0: I don't know about you guys, but I, I really want to see Jata and MLS. Yeah. Oh, basketball. yeah. Yeah. I, I can't wait. That guy tantalizes just a little bit, just with the way uh, he plays. And I, I know he's played a couple of games at center back too, but I love him. Yeah. In that sounds so great. I
2: did <laughs> yeah. find out this week that there is, a, there is an option to buy in his current loan deal. So, Come if FC Dallas decides they want him, they can pull the trigger anytime and have him. Maybe that's the big so, signing Dan's all excited about. Well, I I think there is a chance that um, among this moves this summer is to bring up a player for the rest of the season. You know whether it could be Jata, who because the idea would be if it's not somebody. This is what Lucci preaches whenever we talk about this. He preaches the idea that we're only going to bring them up if we think they can actually help us. We're not going to bring somebody up just to sit on the bench. We already got guys that are that are not playing on the roster, so. Um, You know, you look at the guys we've talked about, Pepe, Archer, Rodriguez, Jata. Those are probably the three, maybe Dante Seeley, but he's already on your roster. So that doesn't count almost. You just reverse the loan in his case. So uh, maybe there's a chance that one of those guys could come up for the rest of the year. I I hope it's I actually hope it's not Pepe other than an open cup, game, because I want the value for Pepe of that uh, being a pro training every day, grinding Tough road trips on a bus to the middle of nowhere, you know, there's some toughness there mentally. that's good for him So I hope he stays down and, and I'm with I'm with uh, Tyler that for me Jot is the one where okay Buy him bring him up, you know, let's you're short in the midfield anyway, right? Like all those guys we listed are mids so to me, exactly. that's the one that maybe you take a look at uh, going forward it's called um, possibly, the the, Ga- so.
0: the gambian Pogba for a reason. Yeah, uh, ridiculous. <laughs> I love it though. Yeah, yeah I I, yeah. I would I would love to see him.
1: There's several guys on that team that I find uh, highly fascinating to uh, to watch and um yeah. I I can't quite tell. I mean, I do find it fascinating that this is such a an incredibly young group of players dominating um uh, I I I, dominating a league and I'm and I can't quite figure out if it's a, a function of just how good this collection of players are or just the 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 actual level of the league they're playing in, um, because I'm so unaware of how these other teams are comprised or what the other histories of these players of these other teams are, but like that first yeah. game they played, uh, the one thing I did know and I can't remember who it was they played. Um, it was a team. Oh, the Chattanooga team, made up of what I was told was largely USL veteran players, and they just yeah. mowed them over. MLS just, veteran, yeah, it was crazy. Yeah. So um, maybe they need to be playing at a higher level.
2: <laughs> maybe, but that's a lot of money. The next level. Oh, never mind them. And ord- I mean, the expansion fee alone is twenty-five million versus five million. That's that's a lot of money. You know, I mean, forget about the stadium rules and the and the infrastructure you need for championship is just completely different. Well, hmm. FC but, Dallas. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Tyler.
0: No, so I wanted to ask, so Buzz, if if I could guarantee that tomorrow all of the minutes that have gone to Cobra up until this point in the season and going forward would go to Pepe if he were to be brought up. Let's just say Cobra no longer exists yeah. and Pepe just gets all of those minutes. You would still yeah. rather have him play for North Texas. Uh, oof.
2: if he could have had all those minutes, because Pepe right now is better than Cobra in my opinion. Oh, yeah. He's already better. For me, just the
0: the overall mentality of the team and what they want to do going forward and the player that Pepe already appears to be, I'm sitting there saying they're wasting time having Cobra on the field with this kid playing in the
2: The difference would be that um, Cobra's minutes are all late game pretty much, right? And Pepe's going to start essentially every single game he's not with a national team. So it's those 90-minute-plus grinds. It's the even worse travel than uh, MLS. It's the fact that with that team, he's the key attention, you know, from the coaching staff, from the trainers, uh, it's the learn to take care of your body. It's learn to be a pro, uh, grinding in and out, you know, mental toughness. So for me, that's all the reason. So, I mean, don't get me wrong. If they call him up tomorrow, I'm ecstatic. Take all Cobras minutes and give them to Pepe. I'm on board. Let's do it. But I just think in terms of like, if I'm thinking like 10 year career, you know, whatever it's going to be for that kid, three more months, four more months with North Texas better than four months of garbage minutes with FC Dallas. Cause he already trains back and forth, you know, almost every once or twice a week, he comes and trains with Pepsi Dallas. So, mm-hmm. you know, th- that the, the coaching and the trainings, there the same. The difference would be the loss of the minutes actually. So I'm, I'm good keeping him down.
1: Well, I'm just going to point out one. Tyler has scored more goals inside Toyota stadium. Yeah. than uh, Andresnik <laughs> has. Yeah, uh, And yeah. and two, both of you will be receiving a fine for violating aforementioned rule earlier in the show that we're no longer oh, like cover to the yeah. nickname. It's Andresnik from here on the out. The Garden Snake. Yes. Yeah. Both bad. of you are going to get <laughs> fined heavily for that.
0: I want to make a prediction for the Vancouver match real quick that oh. Huang and Bohm, the player for Vancouver, have you watched any of that kid play? No, I haven't yet. He's very interesting, 22-year-old South Korean player. He's very good, but he will earn a yellow card uh on an FC Dallas player at some point. He'll get under uh, an FC Dallas player's skin. Somebody in the midfield. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to throw that out there. He's he maybe mm. even Brisson. He'll draw a yellow card on Brisson in this game. That's my prediction. All right. Right. There you go. Well, yeah. well, very good. Just keep an eye out for it.
1: Well, uh, all right. So FC Dallas and the Huntsman travel up to Vancouver uh, Saturday, 630, I think the game is. And it should be on Channel 21. Am I correct about that, guys? I always forget to look. Two seconds. No, I wrote it down. So No, it's 6 p.m. <laughs> it's 6 p.m., not 630. 6 p.m. on Channel 21. Yep. Uh, yep. And the good Steve Davis will be there for sure. That is, By the way, that's part, uh, Tyler's partner. By the way, Tyler, if you don't know who Tyler is, Tyler is the co-host of the ES ESPN Soccer Show on the ESPN radio station here in town 103. 3.
0: Mhm. Yeah. That is correct.
1: I had to That's pull correct. that one up. So, uh, uh, and he's very good at that. So go check him out if you haven't. And they also put that up as a pod as well. So.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right.
1: Well, thank you again, Tyler. We appreciate you joining and hopefully you'll come back and do this one more time some other time or many times with us.
0: Anytime, guys. Anytime is a, a blast.
1: Excellent. Buzz, thank you very much. And thank you, good FC Dallas fan. We'll and speak to you next week on Third Degree the podcast.